Alright everyone, welcome to another edition of Four Guys in the Comic. This is Michael and I have with me, of course, Alex and Matt. Guys, how are you doing tonight? I am doing fan-fucking-tastic. Sorry, I just saw Thor. I'm very excited. No, I'm doing great. Hopefully you guys are doing well too. Yeah, I'm doing great. Oh, God, yeah. yeah, I'm just hanging in there. It's, uh, the Cowboys won today, so I'm very happy. Oh, the, the Ravens lost again. Uh, Fucking surprise, surprise. What's about Patriots were off this week, so I had no Patriots this week. Ugh. Y'all just uh, made some awkward trades over there in Patriot land. Garoppolo gone. Yeah. But a lot of good stuff in comics, I'm telling you. You know, I've been, uh, as you guys know, I've been diving into my Bronze Age even hot and heavier these days. And one thing that I just, I don't know what it is lately, I've been drawing myself into those uh, fan letter columns and been reading a lot of them. And, I, I, and as I'm reading this, I had a question that I had, had to ask you, Matt, because I know you like to read trades. Do they ever put yes. those co- um, fan columns in there with the letters? Okay, so yes and no. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, but it's not... like in the. I don't know about the trades. I don't really read a lot of trades. I read a lot of the Omnis. Um, but in the Omnis, like the... For instance, like the Amazing Spider-Man Omnis, the, the Lee Ditko ones... Um, there's three volumes of those and those kind of have like the, you know, the bullpen letters and things. Um, so it depends on the Omni, not all of them do, but some do. And, uh, and the, the ones that do, the cool thing about it is cause it's an omnibus. Like these are obviously not new releases. Um, the Omnis are, it's the old fucking letters from like, you know, back in the sixties and the seventies yeah. and the eighties. So it, it is pretty, it is pretty cool to kind of go back in time and see all that. But yeah, it depends. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. So that being said, do you ever read them? Uh, sometimes I do, sometimes yeah. I don't. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. And that's kind of like me. You know, sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. But lately, I don't know why I've been reading a lot more of them. What about you, Alex? Have you do you ever take the time to read into those? Sometimes. Um, it really depends. Um, I guess on my mood. Most of the time that I'm yeah, exactly it, I, because I, I mean I'll see them in the trades and stuff occasionally, but. Um, I was doing, I'll do it, you know, if I'm reading my physical copies that I collect or whatever, and I'll just, like, poke my nose through there. Uh, I also did it, you know, through the um, Tales of the Crypt. When I was reading all those Tales from the Crypt comics, most of them were the reprints from the 90s. Because, obviously, the the original ones are hard to find. Um, But, uh, yeah, like I said. Hard covers, sir. Hard covers. uh, One of the things that I really enjoy, like, with that is... um, I guess like trying to date the writing to the time period and just seeing how things mm-hmm. were different. Yeah. I mean, speaking of dating, do you guys, I had to do some research on this. Do you guys know when those glitter columns first appeared? When? Uh, it came out in Target Comics issue number six, published by Novelty Press in 1940. Really? Yes. Yes. They've been out for that long. Yeah, because I know for sure they did them in the 50s. Because, like, yeah. these uh, Black Cat Mysteries and, like I said, the uh, Vault of Horror and Tales mm-hmm. of Crypt, those all had the different corners or whatever. But I didn't know it went back as yeah. far as the 40s. Yeah, I was I was really surprised with that myself. But, uh, you know, reading some of those, have there ever been a story that you guys, uh, or a letter, I should say, that you've read that's always sticked out in your head? Um, Can't say that, no. I would say one. <laughs> I forgot yeah. who it was though. Um, what was it? Oh, um, I don't remember who it. Anyways, it was one um, one comic artist that was um, on a DC book. Uh, wrote in 
to the bullpen of Marvel and got published. Mm. But basically, he, like, it sounded like a normal fan letter, but I forgot who the artist was. But it, and then also there's that uh, that famous one from uh, Walking Dead, isn't yes. it? Yes, yes. Yeah. I mean that's the one that sticks out in my head. I think it was issue one hundred three that uh, had that great letter from uh, Steve Ewan um, talking about issue one hundred when you know when Kirkman killed off uh, Glenn. Oh, Glenn. Yes, yeah. and you know, and he writes in about how dare you you know kill him and cussing and swearing kirkman out it was it was a great great read you know especially when you get to the end you realize who wrote it actually i take that back there is one that sticks out my mind well it's not really it's more of the collection of letters in this one so i was reading some old ghostwriter um stuff from like the 90s and uh they had one where they're like show us your ghostwriter tattoos (laughs) And uh, people were sending in pictures of their ghostwriter tattoos, and uh, were they pretty bad? I would, oh, dude, I would say probably ninety eight percent of them were not good. Yeah, <laughs> and like, that's... and like, I have a lot of tattoos. I'm a tattoo guy. I love tattoos, but uh, and I love ghostwriters. So I mean, a ghostwriter tattoo sounds badass. But yeah, no, these people, mm. I, I would have been afraid that. Well, one, I would never would have admitted to having that tattoo. Let alone sending a fucking picture yeah. <laughs> with my name to the... But, yeah. There was one that was pretty good, but... Yeah. Uh, but for the most part, yeah, they should have uh, just uh, saved the uh, the time. Yeah, yep. And their money. Exactly. <laughs> now, in those letter columns, have you guys um, noticed that in each series, they try to come up with a clever title for the letter for the letters page? Yeah. Yeah, Eddie's yeah. Funhouse. Yep. Yeah. Um, there is some great ones out there, and I actually I took some time going through some Marvel and DC uh, letter columns, and I've come, I've found some pretty interesting ones. I thought we'd have a little fun with a game, and for you listeners, you can play along, see how many you can get right. Basically, I'm going to give you Ooh, okay. the, I'm going to give you the name of a letter column, and you just tell me what series it's from. For example, oh, sweet. if I say Metropolis Mailbag, you would say Superman, Superman or Superman, Action Comics, exactly. Or if I say Detective Comments. You would detective say detective comic, or detective exactly. Comics, yeah. De- detective comic, yeah. So the, yeah. So like I said, I found some stuff and uh, just for fun, you know, just for shits and giggles. Let's see let's what do you... it. This, this, this sounds like fun. Like let's do it. Fun. Yeah. Yeah. This sounds like fun. Hopefully, right. there's some vague ones. Yeah, and a lot of this is really common sense. It really, truly is. And but a few of them I put in there, I was like, okay, you're gonna have to think. So right. the first one I have on the list is plastic postcards. This is Plastic Man? Alright, that one's obscure. Yes, Plastic Man. Yeah, I was going to say, Plastic Man would have been the one I would have guessed, so... (laughs) That's a good one. It is. Okay, here's one. Mail Call. Okay, that just could be fucking anything. Yeah, right? That's not very Um, specific at all. Mail... Hey, how is mail spelled? How is mail spelled? M-A-I-L. Oh. But if you're in the military, when it's time to receive your mail, you say it's mail call. So is it Sergeant Fury? Sergeant Fury Fury and the Howling Commandos. Close. It's our fighting forces. Okay. Oh, I've never even heard heard of that, that so I wouldn't have guessed. Okay. Um, How about Take 10? Ben 10. No, I'm kidding. Um, (laughs) Again, this is a military reference. Uh, God damn it, man. uh, Sorry. Uh, (laughs) What is it called again? I'm I'm just going to... Take 10. Take 10. I'm just going to keep saying Sergeant Fury and the Howling Commandos every single time. It's a military one. Um, I am going to say 
Punisher. How about Our Army at War, which turns into Sergeant Fury? Oh, oh so I, mean, I was... I mean, into Sergeant Rock, into Sergeant Rock. Oh, Sergeant I was going to say, yeah. I kind of got it. Yeah. All right. Okay, so enough of the military. How about... Here's here's a tough one. I, I had to get one tough one for you guys. These were tough. We I don't know, know right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. And I like this one, actually, a lot. The Dojo. Uh, uh, the, um, Masters of Kung Fu? Yeah. Okay, uh, close Iron enough. Fist? Richard Richard Dragon, Kung Fu Fighter. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay, here's one you should get. Um, Princessions. Say that again? Princessions. 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 Uh-huh. It's like princess sessions? <laughs> kind of like, yeah, basically. Uh, anything Disney. <laughs> How many he- heroines do you know that are princesses? Wonder princesses. Woman. There you okay. go, Wonder Woman. See, yes. I would have guessed Wonder Woman's would have been something different. Amazon like, something. I, yeah, yeah, I would have. Yeah, I would have yeah, guessed it was something like that. Yeah, you, one would have thought. Okay, and here's another one that I actually I thought of you, Rusty, because I think you might get this one. Uh, but the section is called Cosmic Comets. Silver Surfer. Nope. Galactus. Fantastic nope. Four. Nope. Um, I will say Captain Marvel. Nope. The answer is Return of New Gods. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, little Jack that's Kirby. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So that's it for DC. If you didn't notice, that was all DC that we just did. Oh, he you got me on clever that. monkey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we're going to switch over to Marvel side of the house now. Obviously, right. we do not uh, find patterns in what is. Been. I know, right? <laughs> we That's would, all good. We're like That's... we're non-evolved monkeys. We can't even find a simple pattern. <laughs> well, I don't have too many because I'd tell you what. Um, even Marvel seemed to have problems because everything was pretty simplistic, like uh, uh, JLA uh, mailbag and just things like uh, that. It's like, oh my gosh, they weren't creative at all. But there was a few creative ones that I did find that I liked. Um, for instance, Jungle Drums. Kazar. Close, but no. Um, a jungle. What is it? Jungle action. No. Ah. Tarzan. Oh, okay. Oh. Yeah. I like that one. Jungle drums. That, that, it was fitting for a Tarzan letter column. All right. This one you should be able to get. The hammer strikes. Thor. Yeah, Thor. That's easy. All right. This one I really liked. I thought it was very clever. Chainmail. Uh, uh, Iron Man? Ghost Rider. No. I'll say Iron Man. It I... is actually Warlord. The Warlord. Okay. The what? The Warlord. The Warlord. Yeah. You can uh, find a million yeah. Warlord comics in like the 50 cent mm-hmm. pen. Yes. And sometimes the, even the free Yes. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um. Then we have, of course, Socket 2 Shellhead. Iron, Iron Man. Man. Y- yeah. All right, and there's only I have one left, which you're obviously going to get. Which I thought it was, it just it just tickled my fanny. It really did. It was the 1969 issue of what you're going to guess, and it's called "Let's Rap with Cap." Captain Cat. America. Yeah. Let's rap. With I Cap. saw that. <laughs> Let's rap with Cap. I saw that. I was just like giggling myself. I was like, okay, yeah, that's funny, guys. But, uh, yeah, so hopefully you listeners out there got quite a few of them. If you have any out there that uh, I missed that are worth uh, mentioning, um, let us know. Put it down in the comments section or send us something on social media. We'd like to know which ones uh, you liked. <laughs> now, talking about the letter columns, 
have you guys ever noticed that in the Bronze Age, especially in the DC comics from the early to mid-70s, that when a person writes in a letter, that they seem to publish that letter with the person's name as well as their full mailing address? Mm-hmm. I never realized the full mailing address. I always just saw, like, yeah. Robert Kirkman, Orlando, Florida, you know, or whatever the hell the case may be, but... uh yeah, I've seen a few with the address. Um, but most of the time, like Tap said, I, I you mostly just see the name and where they're from. Mm-hmm. And I noticed they did that with Marvel, but DC, for some reason, during that time period, they put the full address out. DC didn't give a shit about people's privacy. Nope. No. <laughs> like, that guy said, a- what about Superman? I'm going to send him an You're angry gonna letter. You're going to write in us. Yeah, yeah, or show up to his doorstep. Punch and I wonder if face. that has ever happened. You got to think somewhere at some point somebody's done something like that. It's like I don't like this guy's point of view. I'm going to his place. He's only the next town over. Mm-hmm. Well, okay, so this is it's kind. Of, I guess it's sort of off topic, but kind of on topic. Um, did you guys know that, like, for instance, Peter Parker's address in the comics was a real address in New York, yeah. and somebody that lived, like, the family that lived at that address, their last name was in fact Parker. And so they used to get people coming to their house all the time looking for Spider-Man, and uh, their na- the family name was Parker. So there's like, is it a coincidence, or did like Stanley find you know pull something out of like uh, the news, uh, the phone uh, book, news, but the phone, phone book, book yeah. yeah, he just pulled an address and a name out of the phone book and and wrote it down and said, here we go. Um, or else, yeah, he- it was. Or else Stan was like, I really don't like these Parkers. I'm going to screw with yeah, them big time. I think Stan <laughs> said it was a coincidence, but I don't know. The fact yeah. that the fact that the family's name that lived in that house was Parker is kind of, I don't know, maybe it's just urban legend, but I remember yeah. hearing that um, growing up. So. Suspect. <laughs> yeah. I mean, think about that, though. You know, do you really want to have your full address to to a letter that you publish? Because... You know, if you're a thief or something like that, or just a brown bad guy, you know, you could do so much with that information. You know, a case in point, okay? If you're a thief, you could say, I'm going to this address to steal this person's comic book collection, you know, such as this guy named Kenneth Gaynor, who's been circulating in the news lately. And I don't know if you guys have heard the story at all or not, and I'm going to share it with our listeners. But last month in New York, a parolee named Kenneth Gaynor, who had served four stints in prison, three for drug dealing, and one for attempted kidnapping, stole a package from the patio of a comic collector's home. Now, it turned out the package was from CGC, and when delivered, the package was left on the steps instead of being signed for like it was supposed to be. In the package was an Amazing Spider-Man number one, CGC graded 6.5, oh, wow. and it, yeah, and an X-Men number one graded at a 1.8. So, yeah, those are some really awesome books. So, Kenneth, taking his stolen books, tried to sell them at uh, local comic book shops and left his contact info, all right? Probably not the smartest thing to do because, you know what, at the same time, that comic collector started calling around local comic shops, seeing if anyone had brought them in, and, of course, he found out that somebody was. And uh, in the end, the police set up a meeting with from the contact information that Gaynor left, and they arrested him. It's dumb. Yeah. yeah, he's not not the smartest man in the shed. No, no, not at all. You know, it got me to look, and you know, there's been a lot of these types of stories going on just recently in the news. Um, another one I wanted to share, which I just I thought was really funny, was uh, 
you know, it's you know, it's every comic book uh, fan's fantasy to become a real life superhero and fight crime and all that kind yeah. of stuff. But for one man, you know, this yeah, this this actually happened for this guy. Uh, he, uh, basically, he was a comic book store owner, um, dressed as uh, Superman for Free Comic Book Day, and the uh, the store owner Michael, he was defending his comic book kingdom in Australia. By nabbing a would-be shoplifter who was trying to steal an X-Men omnibus worth 97 pounds. And, you know, the guy might have not been able to shoot webs from his wrists to catch the bad guys, but his spider sense was obviously tingling that led him to rush over and confront this culprit. Um, while he was uh, taking down this thief, the, all the other comic fans that were dressed as Jedi Knights were blocking the exit. <laughs> Can you just see that all these Jedi Knights with cross lightsabers? <laughs> yeah. You will not leave our store. And it would be even funnier if it, they were like your stereotypical comic nerds, you know, like the the big guys, like the comic book nerd from Simpsons, you know, that lives like in your mother's basement. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If they were the stereotypical ones, that would have made it even fucking funnier. Oh my gosh, yeah, I wish I had a picture of this to see, but unfortunately, I couldn't find any. Oh my goodness! How do you steal oh. an omnibus? That sounds like not easy to do. Period. No. Like even if you like no. really try, because that thing is huge. It's not like you just like shove it under your shirt. Well, you could. I mean, but yeah, it's free comic book day. People are coming in costumes. You know what? Kind he, of- he thought he thought it was free. It's not that <laughs> the guy wasn't trying to steal it. He just thought it was free. Yeah, yeah that's it. That's the excuse. Yeah, it's free comic book day, guys. What are y'all talking about? Yep. Yeah, he yep. was just—he was just a very confused soul. Mm-hmm. Speaking of confused souls, um, a couple weeks ago on October twentieth, this guy was caught shoplifting from a comic book store in New York. Um, Midtown Comics. Exactly. Yep. Didn't, wouldn't, wouldn't give the name, but we all know where it is. Um, yep, I remember hearing this story. Yep, he got caught and he jumped through a window on the second mm-hmm. floor to try to escape right in the middle of Times Square, but he didn't have any superpowers. And fractured his pelvis and was arrested. Oh my what God. I heard, what I heard about this, because I've actually heard a lot of other people, like store owners and um, podcasts and things, talking about it. Apparently, the guy had gone into like the guy was like on PCP or something. They mm-hmm. said, and he had gone into like several different businesses um, before going to Midtown, uh-huh. and he was getting kicked out of all of them. He kept asking to like use the bathroom and like you know probably go to do more drugs, and he kept getting kicked out of all of them. And so when he went into Midtown, they were kind of keeping an eye on him because he was acting rather weird. Mm-hmm. And then that's when he, I don't even think he tried to steal something. I think they just said he just jumped out the window. Like he was just crazy and just jumped out the window. Mm. Um, but yeah, that guy was a nutbag. No, really. He's trying to do his best um, uh, Ben Grimm, just bust through the wall. Yeah, yeah I, I don't know, cool, man. time. <laughs> And they said like those windows were pretty thick, so like they are. I've been in that store dude, many times. They, it, yeah, yeah. They said that that guy would have had to get like a running start and like really just put his shoulder into it to like get through the window on his first try. <laughs> I mean, probably with him, he probably didn't feel anything the whole time. <laughs> oh yeah, no. I think they said they took. Well, he said something about his pelvis, but I think they said he also had like glass in his face. But that was like it. Like yeah. somehow the dude really didn't get that injured. Hmm. But no, on the subject of thieves, did you guys hear that uh, Robert Kirkman's uh, Thief of Thieves comic series was announced to be getting its own video game next year in early 2018? No. Hmm. Yes, a... yes. I wonder. What... I've I've read Thief of Thieves. It's, it's a good run. I've never read it. I have not read it. No. 
Well, um, just a little info on that, especially for our listeners. The game follows uh, Cecilia, the protege of Kirkman's comic uh, protagonist, uh, Conrad Polson. And in the comic series, Cecilia is introduced via flashback. But the game explores Cecilia's backstory and how she became an accomplished thief of her own. So it, I think it might be pretty good. I'm, I'm kind of curious on how that's going to pan out. You know, I'm also kind of wondering if uh, Kenneth Gaynor, New York comic thief, will be a downloadable DLC and we can maybe play him as he steals packages from patios or something. <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, speaking of games, did you guys, Russ, you might have, Alex, whatever we're going by right now. <laughs> You're right, it's so hard out of force. I have it. Alex, my good friend. Um, you might have known just from Pop Nerd stuff, but did you hear that Rocksteady, the creators of like Arkham Asylum, Asylum and Arkham Origin, you know, all the Arkham games. Um, their next big uh, comic book game that they're doing is actually fucking going to be Superman. What? Mm. Like, okay. Yeah. So is it going to be like so, the Arkham style or are they going for something different? I don't know because obviously Superman fights completely differently than, than Batman. You have to I be mean, able to got, fly. It's a completely different style. Yeah, it's a completely different style. But the fact that Rocksteady was able to, or not Rocksteady, Rockstar, was able to uh, completely reinvent beat-em-up games with the Arkham series and create some amazing, amazing stuff, um, I am, like, super, super, super excited to uh, to see what they do with Superman. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, definitely. Uh, Speaking of Superman, I'm, I'm looking for that Spider-Man, man. Oh, yeah. I... Oh, the new Spider-Man for the PS4? Yes. yes. See, cool. is that, does anybody know, is it coming out on Xbox One or is it just PS4? My understanding is initial launch will be on PS4, but it'll eventually be hitting all platforms. Yeah. And I got rid yeah. of my PS4 like a year or so ago to go with mm-hmm. Xbox One. I know. it's And it looks Hard. like, I mean, it's the first licensed game developed by Insomniac. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is... And it's going to be the first, basically, or, or I should say the first, but this game will tell a new story of Spider-Man that is not tied to any film or comic book. So it's going to be an original. Yeah, the suit was. Yeah, the suit was a lot different. Um, I saw some of the demo stuff. Mm-hmm. It looks fun though. Yeah, it yeah. does. It does. I guess for right now, I just have to wait until uh, Lego Marvel Heroes Two comes out yes. in about two weeks, one That's week, one, one week. week. Yeah, yeah, I think one week from the date of this. Podcast I've never played those Lego ones, and I've always wanted to. <gasps> oh, 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 dude, you're missing out. That's all I ever get to play anymore because I have young <laughs> children, and that's yeah. what they like to play. So that's what mm-hmm. I get to play. But dude, they are so much fun. They are really so are. much fun. And there's there's a lot of them out now. Oh yeah, there's tons yeah. and yes. tons and tons. I still say though, my very favorite will always be that original first one. You know, the Star Wars. I love that Star Wars one. I liked it, but I remember at the time thinking, "Well, this is weird that like the characters don't talk." And then when they came out mm-hmm. with Lego Batman Two, yeah, and they started talking. That was the first talking one, and I said, mm-hmm. "Oh my god, this Lego series just got even better." Yeah, and then no, every, right there. And then everything from then on has all been talking and voice acting and, yeah. and whatnot. But yeah. Oh. But yeah, Spider-Man. You know, I I keep thinking about it too. God, I would love to see Netflix in particular crank out a Spider-Man show. Yeah, but Fox ain't gonna let yeah. that happen. Or not Fox, yeah, uh, Sony. My bad. Uh, yeah, Sony, Sony's Sony. not gonna let that happen. I, mean, I know, but God, I would love to see Netflix get a hold of that. Oh God, it would be just. Well, epic. speaking of Netflix, Punisher drops November. 17th? They announced it. Seventeen. Yeah. Yes. Ooh, buddy. Seventeenth. Same day. Same day as Justice League. Mm-hmm. Coincidence. Hmm. Hmm. Gotta wonder. Yeah, gotta wonder on that one, right? 
Yep. Oh, speaking of Punisher, Tap, I hear you got a side gig going on. Ah, yes. Um, I, I do. Um, so, just long story short here, the last couple months <laughs> I've uh, decided to dip my toe into the world of voiceovers. Um, and I've gotten a lot of like narration gigs, which is great. Um, they, they pay and I'm happy. Um, <laughs> and, and it's good practice and a good learning experience and everything else. Um, but, uh, recently I was like, well, I want to get into more like character voice stuff, like just to see if I can even do it. Like, I don't even know if I can. So I'm just curious. I'm like, can I do it? Like, I like to do weird voices, but are they cool? I have no idea. Um, and so I was on this, uh, casting call site and, uh, someone said, Hey, I'm, you know, throwing out, uh, uh, I'm doing a comic dub, which I, at the time I had no idea what the hell a comic dub was. I now know, but at the time I didn't. And he said, I'm looking for, to cast stuff mainly, um, I need to cast the Punisher. And I said, I thought to myself, I'm like, all right, well, it's like an amateur like fan thing, but at the same time, how freaking cool would it be to say that you voiced the Punisher? Um... So I was like, well, here's a chance. I'll just submit and see what the hell happens. So I auditioned, uh, did my best Punisher voice for him, sent it in, uh, forgot all about it. And then uh, a few days later, he messaged me and said, hey, you got the part, man. You're going to be doing the Punisher in the new comic dub. And apparently the comic dub that he's doing, he's um, doing uh, the Ennis run, the not mm. the Max. He's doing the... Uh, the new omnibus one that just dropped, well, the reprinted one, um, the Ennis uh, Marvel Night Run, the MK Run. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the one that I'm going to be doing uh, the Punisher for. So I'm pretty excited. Um, I went on. He does some other stuff that he, he's done, like a Red Hood and the Outlaws um, voice dubs before cartoon dubs. Um, and they turned out pretty cool. He adds like little sound effects and like movement with a camera and stuff. So it kind of looks kind of like a motion comic i guess you could mm-hmm. say but it's not the art's not moving but there's like cool sound effects and things that it, it was pretty neat and uh apparently comic dubs are huge uh, a lot of people watch them online on youtube and stuff so yeah anyways i'm gonna be doing the punisher uh so that's really exciting i actually just did my first uh page of scripts for him a couple days ago so cool yeah, no, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Like I said, like I, you know, it's funny. Okay, get this. You guys are gonna die laughing. Okay, so my nine-year-old son, um, I was super stoked, right? I'm like, I just got cast to play the Punisher. Like, granted, it's fanfic. Like, I get it. It's not fucking a, like a professional gig, but still, like, it's really cool to say, hey, I got cast to play the Punisher, and uh, so I was like super excited about it. And I was talking to my son, and I said. uh he said something to me, and I said, go to bed. And he's like, oh, I don't have to. He's joking around, you know, back talking. And I said, uh, I said, do it, because I'm the coolest dad you know, or something along those lines. And he said, no, you're not. And I said, how many of your friends' dads can voice the Punisher? Hmm? Hmm? And he looked me dead in the eye, and he said, Dad, the Punisher's lame. Oh! <laughs> and I said, no, you didn't. And he goes, what? I can't help it if he's a lame character. He goes, I like Spider-Man. I was like, oh, you little bastard. So uh, You have to break yeah, out your he, one, he issue 129 me. and show him the cover of issue 129. Right, right. <laughs> like, here. Oh, yeah, guess what, kid? Next week, I'm we're going to be talking with Jerry Conway, the creator of The Punisher. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And um, 
Yeah, my son could care. But then again, at the same time, he's nine, and really, he shouldn't be reading The Punisher, so I guess I'm okay with him thinking he's lame. It's like, think it now, but later on, your mind's going to be changed. Correct, correct. But yeah, Whether you like it or not. Yeah, yeah, he got me pretty good, though. I was yeah. like, oh, he that hurts the soul. Yes, yes, oh. Take out the knife, please. Here I am, like, thinking, like, oh, my kid's going to be like, oh, my God, my dad's, like, a superhero. This is awesome, right? You know, that's what you want your kid to think about you. Yeah, mm-hmm. nope. You're lame. Punisher's lame. <laughs> go, go be Iron Man. Go be Spider Man. Then we'll talk. <laughs> Whatever, yeah. kid. Now, uh, you know, speaking of uh, Punisher, I, I've been wondering this because I've been reading it, and I just got the second issue. I haven't read it yet, but I'm probably read it right after this. Wait, wait, which, which, which version of the Punisher are you reading? Um, the new Punisher series. Uh, Becky Cloonan. Pl- Platoon. Uh, Max. It's Punisher Max. Oh, 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 oh. Okay. Okay. Yeah, the one that just, just dropped. dropped. So they're on issue two yeah. that came out last Wednesday. Um, it's basically they found someone to who is looking for the story of Frank when he first joined the army. Or like when he first mm. became like in charge, basically, of his platoon. Yeah, it's supposed to be like a prequel to Born or yeah. something. And um it's like they he comes in and you know, uh as a sergeant and um it's just about him leading this random platoon and like he's never done it before and it's just him learning how to do it. And it's really good. Um the art's really good and um it really seems like something that you would be into, Red. Like, mm-hmm. it, it's all, it's war. It's like a war book. Yeah. You know? As you're talking about this, I'm thinking to myself, hmm, I'm going to have to read this. <laughs> yeah, dude. No, you would definitely like it. But, uh, Tap, I, I mean, I, I know you love the uh, Punisher Max stuff. So that's why I was, I was really curious if you'd picked it up yet or if you were interested. I didn't know. I'd, I'd heard about it. I didn't realize that it was out already. Um, so I'm going to have to go back and read those, those two issues. I've been kind of behind on new stuff. Um, I'm not really keeping up on new releases, unfortunately. I need to be. I'm starting to get back into it. Like, as you guys know, I was big into Rebirth for a while, and uh, it just got to be too much, and I kind of backed off. But now I'm like, playing catch-up. It's nice, because I haven't read Rebirth in, like, eight or nine months now, so like, I have all these issues to read. Um, binge read. Yeah, I just binge read, like, 20 issues of Action Comics this week. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, God dang, dude. I was talking to Mike. I said, please tell me you've read this because they they finally announced who Mr. Oz was in the last like two or three issues. And uh, he goes, no, I haven't read it. I kind of fell off too. And I'm like, dude, you have to read it. I have to talk to somebody about this. Please just go read it. Please. I just need, I really need to talk to somebody about this. And uh, he still hasn't read it to my knowledge. So I'm like, ah. But, like, okay, so I just got to get this off my chest because I still have not been able to talk to anybody about this. You guys aren't going to read Action Comics. I know, Russ, you do Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps. Um, Michael, you don't really read the, the Rebirth stuff. Um, I, the only Rebirth I, I say I have in my box is Wonder Woman. That's, yes. that's it. Okay, so spoiler alert for those that are listening. Fast forward if you are not caught up. Um, this is old news though in the world of comics because this was announced about a month, month and a half ago. So this is technically old news. Um, but <laughs> so this whole time we're thinking that Mr. Oz, right, the guy behind the Rebirth stuff, um, you know, changing the realities and whatnot. This whole time we all thought it was Osmond Deus from uh, 
the Watchmen because it was all you know the tie-in of the button and the Watchmen and that you know blah blah blah. Or people were thinking, oh, or maybe it could be Doctor Manhattan. Like it could be mm-hmm. him as well. Like doing this. So there's like a couple different theories going on about who Doctor Oz is. Uh, they finally announced it in Action Comics. I believe it was issue nine eighty eight or nine eighty nine. Um, they they announced uh, who Doctor Oz is, and you guys will never guess. Sinestro. Just just throw a name out there. Sinestro. Sinestro. Nope, it's not Sinestro. Jimmy Olsen. <laughs> Actually, that's a pretty good guess. It's not Jimmy Olsen, but that's a good guess. Um. <laughs> No, it's somebody you guys have never get. It's fucking Jor-El. Really? Okay. Yeah. Jor-El is somehow survived Krypton exploding. Um, and uh, he's basically created this new world called Bliss. And uh, he's trying to get Lois and Clark and their son John to come uh, to this new world because he's basically showing them that human beings are really just ruthless animals and what's the point in saving them when all they do is continue to kill each other mm. um so it kind of speaks to real world stuff too but uh dan jurgens is writing and god it's so good um and actually i was excited because i found out dan jurgens is coming to planet comic-con this year mm. so that made it even I'm more sure exciting Nova's freaking out about that yeah, I messaged him. I said, dude, are you coming this year? Dan Jurgens was just announced. And he said, oh, my God. So, yeah. Um, we're going to – they haven't opened up the press pass thing yet, so i got to see if I can still get in on that. But, uh, yeah, Dan Jurgens will be there. And then, Alex, I told you, man, they got Trish Stratus, Lita, Sting. they got some wrestling people coming this year. I t- They've got- I want to show up. I really do. Like, I said that even last year, that I would love to show up to this thing. Yeah, the problem is, is that this year it's in February, and for those that live in the Midwest, like I do, um, that could mean either warm weather, cold weather but dry, or a frickin' blizzard, and you will have no idea what it's going to be until probably a week before the show, so I think it was really kind of a horrible idea to host it in February, (laughs) um, because of our weather issues, like, you don't know what the weather is going to be like, and you might Mm -hmm. get people not showing up at all because the weather is horrible, so, fingers crossed for a good show, though, Mm um, we'll, we'll see what happens, but yeah, man, they got some pretty solid guests, they haven't announced everybody yet, um, but, uh, uh, Mark Shepard from Supernatural, he plays Crowley. He's going to be there. That's exciting for me. But It's going to know you're talking about Action Comics. It's funny you bring that up because uh, that's actually, I've been working on uh, the Action Comics series lately. And just in the last couple of days, I've picked up probably like 60 issues. Uh, all, of course, talk- all, all Bronze Age. Oh, I was going to say, okay. But, say no, the- but now that I've gone into Bronze Age, I'm just like, you know what? I'm just gonna. I'm. I'm. I want to say I started with like issue 385. I'm just like, no, forget this. I'm gonna go all the way up until until uh, it hits the 1000. I'm gonna have all, you know. Have, did you hear seven. about what they're doing for 1000? No, no. What's going on? Oh my god, it's so cool. So if you're a hardcover collector like you know myself and Mike are, it's it's incredible. They're doing for issue 1000. DC is making it a hardcover book. Oh, that's cool. Really? Yep. Hmm. I don't know if it's going to be a single issue, I, I, I a, like a flimsy, you know, paper yeah. issue. Yeah. Uh, but they are, yeah, they're making issue 1000 a, a hardcover. 
So it's and I think it's going to be like, yeah, I think it's going to be like extra long, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they're they're doing a hardcover for issue one thousand. I said, oh, like that'll be pretty cool. That I mean, because be I mean, hitting one thousand issues of a book is, well, one, it's never been done, and two, that's yeah. just. Oh my God, it's mind-boggling to to make it that it's a far. A lot of comics. Man, they're gonna be the fir- they're gonna be the first, aren't they? Yeah, Action yeah. Comics One Thousand yeah. will be the first one to to ever do it, and then and it'll be followed up by Batman. Yeah. Uh, well, not Batman. Sorry, it'll be followed by Detective Comics. Mm-hmm. Um, probably, I'm trying to think of where they're. I think they're like in the 960s right now, so probably mm-hmm. about a year later, give or take, ten yeah. months to a year later, because um, they're twice a month now. Um, Detective will hit 1,000 as well. Mm-hmm. No, that's going to be pretty cool. Uh, and it's fitting that Action Comics should be the first. It really is. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know. for sure. You know, unless uh, you know, Marvel decides to bring back FF in the renumbering game, you know, the last issue was at 645, but there's been several little mini things. If they started adding all that stuff in together, who knows what number uh, FF will be starting was out it? at. Wasn't... <laughs> Because I was reading, I read all the the FF Hickman stuff, and God, I love Fantastic Four so much. Mm-hmm. Um, wasn't Hickman do? Maybe it was six forty five. I, mean, I was thinking it was in the seven hundreds. Wasn't there a seven? Maybe not. No, six forty five is is the last act, hmm. actual number. Maybe if when they bring everything back, it'll be like over seven hundred. Yeah. But yeah, that's oh my god, I love it so much. Mm-hmm. I'm actually right now speaking of Fantastic Four, I'm actually reading uh Mark Wade's run from the like early 2000s. Mhm. Um and it's so incredibly good. Like I never realized how much I love Mark Wade as a writer until like this mm-hmm. last year. I just I love that man so much. But you know, I've been doing my, my own little investigative reporting type of thing for uh uh, FF because you know with all this stuff coming out with Legacy mm-hmm. I have to, I'll admit I've only gotten through 15 issues out of the 33 so far that have come out for Legacy and I've got I want these next couple days to you know catch, play catch up but out of those 15 issues I've found 12 FF references and some really minor such as there are several covers to issues that are um reproduction ff covers but little other things also like in there you know you like saw in legacy one you had you know the thing and the human torch saying you know it's time for them to find the richards and then at the end of it you saw you know the kids saying oh it's time to go home and you're just kind of like uh okay and then it was an issue i forget which issue it was off the top of my head uh but uh norman osborne was talking about purchasing the baxter building and then all of a sudden uh, the Human Torch inherits uh, five plus million dollars uh, because of the inheritance stuff going on from the Richards estate. And what was it? Uh, in the unbelievable uh, Gwenpool, all of a sudden, dead. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, Doctor Doom shows up and Doombots, and a lot of little FF stuff is popping up throughout all the different legacy issues. So it's leaving me to wonder what's really going on. Are they going to be coming back? Are they tying all this legacy stuff together for a big triumphant return? That would be cool. I would not yeah. complain one bit if they did. <laughs> no, and then if you throw on top of all that, Alex Ross. You know, on his Instagram feed, I don't know if sure if you guys have heard the story and seen the pictures or not, but he was uploading a bunch of uh, pictures one day on Instagram, and it looks like he accidentally, when he was uploading, uploaded a drawing that he did for FF. 
and he put it up there then he quickly when it started um, getting noticed he removed it which shows that he must he obviously made an uh, an error but in no, that no 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 that was a tease that wasn't an error that was done yeah. on purpose yeah yeah i mean you know, some people are saying well you know it's probably maybe a commission he did but on the in the picture if you look at it it's a brand new um fantastic four uniform the richards are wearing so no person that's going to be wanting a commission is going to want some brand new costume they're going to want an original one from the past so again why the tease why that picture with and the if it was costume? a commission he wouldn't have erased it he would have said this was a commission yes, i did exactly. it was a tease it was mm-hmm. done on purpose as soon as it got noticed it sparked an interest mm-hmm. in it then they're like quick delete it because yeah. that's that's how marketing works that's how shit oh, works. that's I how know. people get talking but you know it's alex ross so i gotta give him the benefit of the doubt because you know i love the man's work and if ff is to come back there is no better person to draw it than him I don't think that he's ever yeah, no, done I'm Fantastic with you. Four either. No. no. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I, I love Alex Ross. I think it'll be awesome, and I'm really stoked if they do bring back uh, mm-hmm. Fantastic Four. That would make me so incredibly happy. Um, speaking of characters that they brought back into the fold, have you please? I I gotta geek out again. Please tell me I'm not the only one that's read this. Captain America six ninety five. It's on my list. I, I haven't read it yet. Oh god damn it, people. It is so good. I'm not just saying that because it all takes place in Nebraska. Um, that was actually just sort of a weird coincidence. And I was like, ah, that's kind of cool. Um, Mark Wade is back on Captain America. And Chris Samney is on the art. And it's so good. Dude, Cap's back in his pirate boots. It's oh, so awesome. Like, it's truly like a throwback book. It made me giddy. It made me smile. It was... It's epic, man. It's classic Cap. And like I said, with Samney art and kind of that throwback feel that he does, oh, it's so good. And once again, it's Mark Wade writing, so, you know, it's solid. Um, I'm so incredibly excited for Mark Wade to be back on Cap. Um, and for those Omnibus collectors, Mark Wade's Omnibus for Captain America drops in December. Mm-hmm. You can pre-order now. Well, yeah. I'll tell you what, Matt. I'll probably have that issue read within the next day or two, and once I do, I'll be hitting me up. We can talk. Yes, can talk please about do. It. It's cool. so good. I tried to talk about it in one of our rooms, and like nobody else has seemed to read it. And I'm like, how has nobody read this book? It is so good, and I, this is me talking about Marvel. Can you guys I believe know. this? Wait, I'm, I'm wait, discussing wait. Marvel books with you guys. You've been reading all these Marvel books lately. You read some of that uh, X Men I told you too, also. I did. You're right. Um, I wouldn't have read those without you telling me to read them, but I did read them. Um, and I was confused because at a few characters. I know you explained the Beast thing, which I appreciated because I would have been really confused had I that not been explained. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's so, there's some characters like who the hell are these people? I figured it out like as the as I kept reading like the four or five issues that you told me to read. But um, no, it was it was good. <laughs> Colin Bunn writes a really good Mojo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Mojo was sick, and the art on it was really good too. Um, I enjoyed looking at that book a lot, um, especially Mojo with like his eyes all, you know, the uh, that was awesome, really well done. So yeah, I've actually been reading some Marvel stuff lately. I think with Marvel Legacy, man, they might be able to hook me back in, kind of like how DC did with Rebirth. Um, now, I'm probably not going to be into it nearly as much as I was with Rebirth, because I don't think there's that many good titles. But uh, yeah, Captain America was solid. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, the X-Men books I read, they were cool. I don't know if I'll 
I'd keep reading. I think it's one of those things where, like, when Alex says, hey, go read these titles, I'll be like, oh, okay, and I'll go read those ones. But I don't know if it's something that... X-Men hasn't hooked me. Mm-hmm. Um, but Captain America did. Venom did. Cable has. Um, I'm going to have to read the Punisher Max one. I didn't realize it was out yet. Uh, and if they bring back Fantastic Four, count me in for mm-hmm. that one. That's an automatic pull box. Yep. So, yeah, Marvel... Maybe they're turning the tide right now. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I guess we'll see what happens. They gotta, if they're going to go back the way they're, they're talking with Legacy, you have to go back to their flagship. You just have to. Well, and that and the thing is, is this like going to be... Are they learning from DC and Rebirth, or are they... Is this going to be like, uh, you know, this is going to happen for three months, and then we're going to do away with it and piss on everyone? You know what I mean? Yeah, like, I know. Um, I don't know. Oh, and I read... Uh, Okay, so I'm not a fan of the idea of Lady Thor, right? Like, mm-hmm. I'm not against a female hero at all, but just, like, when I want to read Thor, I want to read Thor Odinson. You know what I mean? Like, that's the Thor I want to read. Um, but but uh, I did she's read... dying off, though. Yeah, well, I did read uh, the latest Thor, the, the first legacy issue of The Mighty mm-hmm. Thor, which is still Lady Thor. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, uh, once again, Jason Aaron still writing and whatnot, but it's... That one also impressed me. I can't lie. That was actually a really good book, too. Um, I I thoroughly enjoyed it. So I was like, all right, Marvel, you, uh, you've you piqued my interest in your books yet again. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so I am, uh, and of course, Amazing Spider-Man is always solid when you got slot on it. So that one's solid, too. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, Marvel, who knows now if they can only just bring back Moon Knight. Oh, and, oh, uh, <laughs> Spirits of Vengeance. Oh, yes. That came out. Yeah. Oh, my God. Like, that is my heart and soul right there. So, yeah, that's... Yeah, Marvel's got me. I'm sorry. I I know I've said a lot of shit about Marvel in the last two years, but Marvel's got me. (laughs) Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. You know what's sad is um, last issue of Silver Surfer came out uh, this past Wednesday. Yeah. Well, did you see Dan Slott, how he tweeted about the Omnibus? Yeah, he's trying to get people to convince Marvel to make it. Yeah, yeah, they're like, hey, Marvel and Tom Brevoort, check out this Twitter poll. And it was like people like clamoring basically for a Silver Surfer omnibus. Mm -hmm. You know what I really want? I want a Superior Spider-Man omnibus. That'd be cool. That would be cool. People have been asking for one forever, but they're giving us Carnage next year. Ooh, so and okay. nobody I don't think I don't think anybody thought we'd see a Carnage one. So hopefully we'll see a Superior Spider-Man pretty soon. They have them in deluxe hardcovers like three volumes, but people want to see like all in one, yeah. you know, over big one. But yeah. Um the Carnage drops next May, April, May, April or May. I may have to get that one. Yes. Mm-hmm. It looks good, man. It's like almost like a thousand pages of pure carnage. You need to get that dang <laughs> Pun intended. Uh, you need to get that dang um what's that? Dead well not it wasn't Deadpool. Uh the X Force oh, one that you were talking X, about. Yeah, it's Deadpool yeah, it's Deadpool and X Force. Yeah. Uh, that's the name of it. So they came out with X Force volume one um a few years back. Um, and I think that one's the first 20 issues of X-Force, something like that. Um, and then they just released this last week, uh, Deadpool and X-Force, which is basically X-Force Volume 2 um, with a couple of uh, uh, Deadpool minis. Like uh, I think it was like... Circle Chase. Circle Chase, that's it. Yep. Yeah. And um, the one through four and a couple one-shots, I think, that are in there and whatnot. Cable issues. But yeah, so, yeah. Yep, yeah, the cable mini that was in there. 
Um, and I was asking people, I said, I'm really interested in getting this because they had it for like 55% off cover. And I'm like, I'm really intrigued by this. I said, am I going to like it? And people said, did you like Executioner Song? And I said, I loved Executioner Song. And apparently that kind of ties into some of these. So they said, well, if you liked Executioner Song, you're going to love this. And I said, oh, hmm. all right. I want to grab this. But I still need, I still want to get X-Force Volume 1 first just because I'm a weirdo and I like to read in order. You just want but, the Liefeld art. That's no, I prefer the Capu- I prefer the Capullo art, but yeah, I don't know. Anyways, uh, yeah, yeah, so that's coming out. But you know, I have to give today a special shout out to uh, Brian. Um, Brian works over at Com- Comic Cubicle, and uh, yesterday, in fact, I was over there and to pick up some back issues, and we started talking for quite a while he's a uh, fan and listener of our podcast as well as just a connoisseur of everything in comic books and just a wealth of knowledge and just general all-around great guy so brian just want to uh, reach, say thank you for listening to us we appreciate it and yes thank you brian i yeah, do not know you, you but thank you <laughs> now brian shared a little story with me that I gotta throw out to you two guys as well as to our listeners, and I want to hear some thoughts on this. So, Brian, I hope you don't mind me sharing the story, but he has worked out. Well, if he and, does, it's too late. Yep, exactly. It's too late. <laughs> so he told me this great story, and he'll tell anybody about the greatest Batman story that has never been written. And Tab, I'm, I'm intrigued. Yeah, I know. I knew you would be, and I. He told this to me, and it made me like, I want to read this. I'll buy this. So imagine, you know, here's the basic premise. I won't, you know, give you the full, long details of the story, but the basic idea is this. You know, Batman is uh, fighting the Joker. The Joker is, you know, trying to take out uh, the infinite worlds and everything, and Batman has to make a decision and decides he's going to have to sacrifice himself to save, you know, all the, all the infinite uh, Earths. So he does so. And he instead of dying, he ends up getting thrown back and slingshotted into the past. Think of it almost as similar to like a Terminator effect to where he lands up in the past, kind of naked, and he finds himself in, a, in this area, you know, without clothes. So he quickly um, finds a store, breaks into it, grabs a, some clothes, a, you know, a, a jacket and hat, and starts walking around and realizes... Oh, okay, I'm back in the past. Okay, you know, he's using his detective skills. Okay, I'm still in Gotham. And he realizes, holy crap, I'm in the alley where my parents got shot. And all of a sudden, he starts seeing his parents and himself. And he's like, oh my God, this is the point in time where I can actually save my parents and, you know, make correct everything that needs to be corrected. And as he's thinking about what to do, he reaches in his pocket and he finds a gun, okay? And he's like, oh my gosh, this is perfect. You know, I can kill, uh, uh, what, uh, help me out, the guy that killed his parents. Um, oh God, I'm having a brain fart. What's his name? Joe Cool. Joe Cool, yes. He's like, okay, I can take out Joe Cool. And he's waiting, and you know, the decision is coming close. He, Joe Cool doesn't show up. And he realizes, all of a sudden, he's like, oh my gosh, if my parents don't die, young Bruce will never turn into Batman. And Batman will never uh, defeat uh, the Joker's plans and destroying the infinite Earths. And all these billions of people are going to die. 
He's left with no choice. He has to shoot. Or sorry, not Joe Cool. Joe Chill. Or Joe sorry. Chill. Joe Chill. I had a, I had a brain fart. I was like, yeah. Joe Cool does not sound right. No, that sounds Joe like Chill. the camel. Yeah, it's Joe Chill. Camel. Sorry. <laughs> so yeah, I was, I was like, I was like, that doesn't sound right. Why does that not sound right? To yeah. Me? Yeah. Joe Chill. So Batman is forced to kill his own parents to um, correct the timeline, which drove him nuts. I mean, he just completely lost it. Decided to go commit suicide. Uh, basically like jump off a bridge and uh, end his own life because that will also help the timeline too but he was unsuccessful in killing himself and basically um at the end of it all was hysterical and basically the premise is that he turned into the joker that bruce wayne is the joker and he killed his own parents and that's what made him insane well people say that batman and there's Fan theories yeah, that, that I've, Batman I've and those. the Joker are one and the same. Yes. So, um, Brian, <laughs> if you ever want to come on the show and explain this to us in detail, I, I'd be interested to hear it because I have some questions. Yeah. Like, one, how is the Joker taking out the Infinite Earths? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, in, I'm intrigued by how he's accomplishing that. And yeah. uh, uh, the premise sounds interesting. So, yeah, if, yeah I'd does. be interested to hear, to hear the details. And Snake Style, if I'm, I'm curious on your thoughts, because I know you are a huge Joker fan. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm curious on your thoughts as well. So I thought it was a pretty cool little story that he came up with. He has all sorts of stuff, different ideas for different things and different comics and stuff. But that one caught my attention. I thought I'd share it and to see what you guys have thought and what some of our other listeners would think. So, Brian, thank you for sharing that. Appreciate it. Appreciate you listening to the show. Alrighty then. I think it's time we go ahead and wrap things up for today. It's, you know, probably time to give our guest a call. Bring, bring, bring. No, I'm fine now. My cat was scratching at the door. I closed the door so the cat wouldn't bother us, and he's scratching at the yell, yowling at the door. So I just decided to let him in. <laughs> it My cat does the same. Same thing. here. Uh, I'll make the paw come under the bottom of the door like repeatedly. Yep. Yeah. All right. So, uh, Red, do you have it? You're good. Uh, Red- you're good. You can start whenever you're ready. Okay. I'm gonna get ready to go then. Hey guys, welcome back to another interview portion of Four Guys in a Comic. Today, I have with us a screenwriter who is also an American comic writer. And um, you may have heard of him before for some of his work, but I'm going to let him tell you about it. I have Christos Gage on show with us today. How's it going, Christos? It's going great, thanks. How are you? Doing great. We're hanging in there. Um, Another day, more comics. Um, Fantastic life, right? Another day in paradise. That's right. You bet. So... For those uh, listeners out there that um, may not have heard of you or this might be their first time being introduced to you, um, could you give them a quick rundown real fast of some of the things you might be known for, some things that they might know you from? Well, let's see. Uh, I've written pretty much for every comic book company, um, and I've written a lot of different characters over the years. I've been writing comics for about 15 years, um, and actually even before that I was a screenwriter, uh, my wife Ruth and I. Uh, our screenwriting team uh, in television, we've written for the we wrote for the first season of the Daredevil TV show. Uh, we've written for Law and Order SVU. Uh, in comics, I've written Avengers Academy, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I've co-written Amazing Spider-Man with Dan Slott. Um, let's see, I wrote a lot of Wildstorm stuff. 
uh, and uh, I'm getting ready to come out with uh, Ninjak or Ninja K number one, the reboot of the series, relaunch of the series for Valiant, and uh, I write Rom Space Knight. I mean, there's a lot of stuff I could go yeah. on, but yeah, you've done a lot. A... <laughs> so, um, you know, before we get into some of your current stuff and maybe even some of your uh, past work, I want to take it a little bit way back. Um, when you were growing up, uh, was this something that you thought that you would become an adult and like make a career out of, or is this something that just kind of like fell in your lap one day? Well, until I was in my teens, I didn't realize that actual people made the comic books. Like <laughs> I thought that they just sort of showed up one day. Um, you know, perfectly formed, fell from the sky. But once I realized that people actually did it, yeah, I was definitely interested in in doing it. Matter of fact, when I was like 14, I sent in a pitch to Marvel Comics, like written in longhand on on yellow note, you know, yellow lines notebook paper. And uh, you know, it was basically like an entire. It was basically like a, a huge fight scene. And they sent me back, you know, one of the form letters that was like, uh, thanks for sending this in. Your work is not yet of professional quality, but keep trying, True Believer. And, uh, you know, I uh, <laughs> then then um, when I was in college, uh, you know, I went to college and I, I actually sort of moved into like studying screenwriting and, and got the idea if I wanted to be a screenwriter Um in part because I didn't really know how you became a comic book writer, um, but also because I, I thought, you know, once I figured out how screenplays work, I found those really fascinating as well. And uh, so then I went to film school. I went to the American Film Institute um, out here in Los Angeles, and uh, that's where I met Ruth and graduated um, with a master's degree in screenwriting. And about a year, well, within a year from graduating, I, I sold my first pitch, uh, which at the time I was uh, writing movies. Uh, and Ruth and I wrote movies for oh, a number of years. Um, and a few of them got made. Uh, they tended to be sort of like lower budget genre movies. Like uh, we did a, a vampire movie called The Breed uh, with, um, uh, what's the guy's name from uh, the Highlander TV show? I forget his name. Uh, and Bokeem Woodbine was in it. Um, and... Uh, you know, we had so we had some some lower budget genre movies made, but you know, most of the stuff we did, like we'd be working for big studios, and you know, there would be big stars attached. But you know, uh, they just there are so many screenplays written for every movie that gets made, so you can have an entire screenwriting career and like have a movie actually made once every five years. Um, and it was, you know, we got kind of frustrated with the process because there's you write stuff to actually get produced and, and be seen so we moved into television and uh you know somewhere along the way i got to know some people in comic books and i got to know jimmy palmiotti who is mm -hmm. you know well-known artist and writer uh he and his wife amanda work on harley quinn right now um and we became friends and and uh jimmy was kind enough to make some introductions uh he introduced me to dan didio at dc um who hired me to write, I pitched him a story he liked, and he hired me to write uh, a Deadshot miniseries. So that was my first work in comics. Very cool. So um, growing up, I mean, I, I want to get back into this a little bit, but I, I still am curious in your childhood a little bit. Um, growing up with comic books, uh, what were some characters in comics that uh, you were into or grew up reading? When I was about six years old, we six and a half, we moved to Athens, Greece for four years. My father was a reporter, and he was like an international correspondent at that point. Um, so we 
I the place we lived near there was this big like grocery store department store that got American comics, but they only got Marvels. So I was a Marvel kid, uh, and you know I liked all the characters: Spider Man, Fantastic Four, Captain America, you name it. Um, I also loved the uh, the licensed books. I loved the Godzilla comic, uh, Shogun Warriors uh, from the late seventies. Uh, Rom, obviously, Rom Space Knight. Um, and so I, I pretty much read everything I could get my hands on. Uh, and then when we moved back to, to the U.S., I it took me a little while before I got into DC Comics, which I got into right around the time of Crisis on Infinite Earths, and it seemed like a good, you know, they were sort of re, rebooting a lot of their stuff, and it seemed like a good jumping-on point, so that's when I got into DC uh, and uh, not that long afterwards, there was Alan Moore's Swamp Thing and Watchmen and Dark Knight and everything else. It was a really cool time to be to be reading comics. Very cool. Now, you said, I mean, you obviously you've done a lot of screenwriting and stuff, and, and that's something that I really find it interesting just because I, well, on a personal standpoint, I actually went to uh, college and got a degree in um, Converge Broadcasting and Media, which is like a fancy way to say broadcast journalism but while I was there I worked with the um, campus uh, TV station a lot and I actually was the head writer for two of the TV shows that we put out there Um, yeah so I mean it's cool you know talking to you now someone who's done a lot more than me obviously but um, it's always interesting to see like that uh, viewpoint of like the jumping off for that Um, you said that you sold your uh, I guess your first pitch a year after you got out of college is that correct not college, uh, graduate school. Graduate school. So, yeah, I went to Brown University undergraduate, and then I went to AFI for two years. It's a two-year uh, two-year program. I uh, got my master's degree in screenwriting. Um, so yeah, went within you know probably about I don't know maybe six seven months after graduating, uh, I was able to sell a pitch to Warner Brothers. It was uh, it was a big sci-fi thing. The, it sort of had the concept of escape from Alcatraz in space. Um, there was this sort of period where, like, you could put in space after any <laughs> existing movie, and you, you know, people would be like, "Ooh, that's original." And uh, but it was actually it was a really cool concept, and I think it would have been a cool movie. And we we sold it to uh, Warner Brothers with the, you know for George Clooney. This was when, around when he was doing the Batman movies, and they were grooming him to be like an action star. And uh, you know, we I wrote the script, and uh, but nothing really happened with it in part because Clooney, you know, gravitated more towards towards drama and straight drama as opposed to action films. Mm-hmm. Very cool. And now you said that you uh, worked with your wife on these, uh, a lot of these screenplays and stuff. Yes. Yep. Oh, so uh, I got to ask, what's it like working with your wife on it? Is it like, I'm assuming it's a pleasant experience because y'all came out with a bunch of stuff, but um, did it seem stressful at first? Is it something that you always enjoyed? Is it something that brought y'all closer together? Yeah, no, it works. It works fine. I mean, um, we like I said, we met in film school, so that was kind of part and parcel of the whole thing. Uh, and you know, people always ask, "Well, how do you not kill each other?" And you, know, <laughs> you, you just have to separate. You can't be. But to, to, to tell you the truth, it's like that with any co co writing or co creating experience. Like if you're easily, um, if you're easy. Okay, so here's the thing. A lot of a lot of people approach you and say, when you're a writer and, and, and say, hey, will you read my script? Will you read my comic book screenplay or whatever? And usually for legal reasons, you, you can't do it. You say, I'm really sorry I can't because if I happen to be working on something similar, you could sue me and I, I don't have an army of lawyers at my 
beck and call. Um, but like if they're personal friends, you know, a friend's uh, nephew or cousin or whatever, then you read it. And they're, they're, you can always tell the difference between the people who have a, a chance uh, and success and the ones who don't, not just by the talent of their writing, but also the ones who really want to hear your your thoughts and how they can make it better and the ones who just want you to basically say this is fantastic it's brilliant as is and here's the secret handshake that gets you into the club you know um and so in any creative endeavor if if you can't take criticism now it's it's different you know the, the funny thing is with ruth and my wife and i um is we've gotten to the point where like, you know, we'll just say, and, she, and she's actually harsher than I am, but uh, we'll say things to each other like, this is shit. What, what were you thinking when you wrote this? <laughs> and, um, you know, but that's just because we've been together so long. But the truth of the matter is you can't, if you take it personally, uh, the criticism over your, your work, then you're not going to get very far in any collaborative endeavor. And, and unless you're just writing novels, um, even then you have to work with an editor, but you're not going to have much success in, in screenwriting or comic book writing or anything else, because you've got to work with other people, whether it be your editor, your, your artists, uh, the other people in the writer's room, if you're on a TV show. So it's really important to, to be able to work with people. So I always, you know, people always ask, how do, how do you guys do that? And I say, look, if we kill each other, it's going to be over, over, you know, who folded the laundry wrong, not who, you know, not Chris criticizing each other's writing because you just, you know, it, it doesn't work if you're too precious about it. So, you know, you're talking a little bit about childhood. I had to throw out there, you know, I first started picking up comics, you know, in the late 70s as a kid. I remember picking up Spider-Man issue 197, first one I bought off the spin rack, fell in love with Spider-Man and, you know, read it straight through until probably the late 80s. You know, and I kind of fell off the Spider-Man bandwagon back then, and I just like got tired of it and just never picked it up again, until somebody told me, "Oh, hey, you know what? Uh, Superior Spider-Man number one. You really got to check that out, Michael. Check it out. Just trust me." So I picked it up, and I'm like, "Oh my God, this is really good." It made me want to read some of the the stories, you know, from uh, the late 600s up to 700 of ASM to catch up to what was going on with Peter and Doc Ock and. I'm telling you, those 33 issues of Superior Spider-Man, I absolutely fell in love with it. It put me back into the Spider-Man uh, franchise. And I got to tell you, you and Dan did such a great job with those things. Like, <laughs> well, thank you very much. I mean, I have to give Dan most of the credit because he, uh, you know, came up with the plot and the storyline mm -hmm. and, and everything like that. And I just did the scripting. Um yeah, that's what I was wondering. What was all your involvement in that? What was the process? Was there stuff that you get to throw in there? You know, how did that work? Well, the way Dan works is uh, what used to be called Marvel style because it's a way Marvel mm -hmm. came up with. You know, when Stan Lee was was writing like ten books a month, um, you know, he would do plot first, so he would just sort of roughly describe. You know, here's what happens in the issue, like one type sheet of paper, and he'd give it to the artist, and then they they draw it and flesh out the uh, they they would actually do writing in the sense of flesh out the how the story unfolds and the pacing and all that and then in some cases like with with jack kirby you know people who were really experienced and they'd work together a while uh he'd just say well let's do dr doom this issue and then jack kirby would essentially just break down the whole story yeah. um and it varied you know um that's not how it usually works anymore i mean but even into the i want to say into the 80s the, the policy at Marvel was you write a plot first and, you know, it'll be like page one. Here's what essentially what happens. Mm -hmm. It usually doesn't so, show how many panels, although I think in some cases, like I think Archie Goodwin 
you know, who was more of a cartoonist than like a realistic artist, but he, he understood art and he'd do like little breakdowns of how he saw the panels working on the page. But a lot of writers would just, uh, you know, say, here's essentially what happens in page one and then pages two and three are a fight scene. And, uh, you know, and then here's what happens on page four and five. And Dan's pretty specific. So he just, he'll, he'll throw in like some bits of dialogue, but usually he'll say, you know, page one, panel one, it's a splash page of Spider-Man swinging over the city, page two, panel one, um, you know, Spider-Man changes to Peter Parker, and then pan- panel two, he goes into Aunt May's house and yada, yada, yada. Um, and he describes how the characters are feeling, but I once asked him why he likes to work this way, because nowadays everyone, not everyone, but most people work full script, and he said he likes the way the, he likes when, when the art comes in, he gets new ideas about what the characters might be saying. So I think that's a really cool process. And I've done it a little bit on with my co-writer, Chris Ryle and our artists on, on ROM. Um, it's not my like instinctive way to work, but um, uh, you know, it's a good, it's, it's, it's a very interesting. And I think uh, what's the word I'm looking for collaborative way of working. Uh, so that's how Dan works. But it initially started when Dan and I started working together on Avengers, the initiative, which was another book he was doing. And, uh, you know, Dan, as he will tell, say himself, is he's he, he's a slow writer, and I'm a really fast writer. Um, also, he finds plotting easier, and I find scripting easier. So kind of like Jack Spratt and his wife, you know, we, we make a good team and we get books out on time. Uh, so it started out like Dan and I co-wrote Avengers the Initiative, and then uh, he went off to just do Spider-Man. And I think I initially came in on one of the issues of Superior when he was having trouble with the deadline and and they uh he and and the editor were like which i think was steve wacker at the time were like would you we've got the art we've got the plot could you write the script portion so i did then there were other arcs where it was planned like the superior venom arc for example mm-hmm. where it was planned from the start that dan would plot and i would script and sometimes when we're doing that he'll do a slightly less detailed plot um you know like he might not necessarily break it down by by panels because i'm going to do that when i script um but usually, you know, Dan has the, the storyline worked out, but I'll come up with, like, one of my favorite bits of, of dialogue that I came up with was there's a bit in the finale where uh, Spider-Man is fighting Green Goblin, and it's it's no longer Doc Ock in, the in you know, in Pete's body, in Spider-Man's body. It's, it's Peter Parker is back for the first time in 33 issues. Mm-hmm. And Green Goblin doesn't know this, and Dan had in the plot he wrote, um, you know, until... Spider-Man makes a joke, and it's like the kind of joke only the real Spider-Man would make, and immediately Green Goblin knows, and he he didn't have a particular joke in mind, so you know, I came up with something where Green Goblin is basically saying, I'm going to take everything away from you, and you'll be left with nothing, and Spider-Man says, well, just the dignity of knowing that I don't carry a man purse, because, you know, Green Goblin has that pouch. <laughs> now remember actually, that. <laughs> that was actually a great example of, uh, you know, um, Having, I think we had some of the art in by that point because I, I didn't think of it. I was trying to think of a joke, and I saw, oh, he's got this, you know, this pouch. He's the characters always had. So, you know, I, I will contribute little bits like that and stuff. But I mean, Superior Spider-Man, especially, I don't want to take anything away from Dan. It was really his baby, and I think it's a really terrific storyline because it uh, it really showed why, you know, only Peter Parker can be Spider-Man. Um, because even when you have someone with the same powers, like the exact same body, the same intellect, and the same sort of, you know, memories, because Doc Ock literally had Peter Parker's memories as well, 
um, it, it still doesn't work. It, only Peter Parker can really be Spider-Man. So I thought, you know, it was a great story in that for the character. Very cool, man. So, you know, you've done work through uh, many different companies. Like, it's not just specifically one, but you've done it in many different companies now, and you, right. you're, you're kind of spread out. Um, we talked a little bit there about uh, plotting and scripting and all that. Um, does your process change from company to company, or do you have, like, a pretty set thing that uh, you can pretty much use as a template for each book? It doesn't change all that often, really. I mean, there's no set format. Some, some writers in comics actually use Final Draft, which is a screenwriting software that I use for screenplays, but not comic book scripts. I use just word, you know, word processing for, um, for comics. So there's no set, set format. Uh, and, you know, it's not that, it's really not that different from company to company. It's more like there are some different circumstances. For example, if you're working on a licensed book, there might be an extra set of approvals it has to go through because the licensor you know, like let's say you're working on, on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which I, I do. Um, you know, at some point the script gets sent into Fox and uh, Fox, you know, might – they usually don't but because um, as long as Joss is okay with it, they're okay with it. But, uh, you know, every now and then they'll say, you know, does this character really have to say bastard, and, you know, <laughs> yeah, um, or something like that. Uh, so – but no, it, it doesn't – it's not – there isn't a big variation between companies. And, in fact – you know, often like Steve Wacker worked at DC and then he worked at Marvel. Um, and, you know, Warren Simons, who's my editor at Valiant, I knew him from when he worked at Marvel. So the editors move around from company to company, as do the creative people. Uh, so it's, no, it's it's not that, you know, it, it's really not that different. Very cool. Now, uh, you're currently working, you said, on ROM, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, How did they, they go about approaching you to do this book? Well, on ROM... So uh, Hasbro owns ROM. It was a toy that was originally created by Parker Brothers uh, and licensed to, run, uh, to Marvel as a comic, and the toy was not a success. It quickly disappeared, but the Marvel comic was a success, so they published it for, I want to say, seven years or something like that, um, and it was great stuff. Bill, Bill Mantlo writing it and artists from Salvi Sema, who started it, wrote, drew it for many issues, like 50 issues, and then uh, towards the end, Steve Ditko, um, co-creator Spider-Man, did an amazing run. Uh, and then it went away, and the rights were sort of tangled up in legal limbo for a while, but they landed at Hasbro. So IDW works with Hasbro on their properties like G.I. Joe, um, Transformers, and like that. And Chris Ryle, who is uh, the editor-in-chief at, at um, IDW, is a huge ROM fan like me. We're, we're the same age, and, and uh, he grew up reading ROM and he kept asking them, Hey, can we bring back ROM? Can we bring back ROM? And they were like, not yet, not yet, not yet. And then finally they said, okay. So he contacted me. He was like, Hey, I know you're, cause we knew we both, we were friends and we knew that we we're both huge ROM fans. And he said, do you want to co-write this? And I said, yes. So we co-wrote it, um, and had fun. And, uh, it's, it's ending its first season now, which was 14 issues plus an annual, um, and then it's relaunching as ROM and the Micronauts. It's going to be a team-up book for a while, which I think is really cool because when I was a kid, there ROM and the Micronauts were both comics put out by Marvel, uh, but they never crossed over because they were actually licensed from different companies. Um, but now they're owned by the same company, so they can they can cross over. Uh, so it's you know it's sort of like coming full circle. 
It's like you can play with the toys you played with when you were a kid, but as a grown-up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. Definitely. That's super cool. I wasn't around in the '80s. If you couldn't, I don't know if you can see my video or not, but obviously, I wasn't around in the '80s. I mean, uh, Red Skull. Did you? Uh, were you reading any of those rom comics oh, back course, then? Of course. Of course. See. All the cool people. Yeah, that's right. It's, maybe it's something that I need to look into. You I do. know I've seen a you few uh, few comic shops around here that have a lot of back issues yeah. of it. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of fun. I mean, it's mm -hmm. you know, it's it's sort of space opera of the period, and it's uh, it's got that sort of Thor Shakespearean quality to it, uh, to the way the characters speak. But Bill Mantlo had this amazing, you know, uh, creativity where he'd take on these things that were just supposed to be comics that existed just to sell toys. And he would create these amazing worlds and universes and characters. And, uh, you know, he really, at the end, I don't know if you know anything about Bill Mantlo, but he very sadly uh, in the nineties was hit by a car and suffered a, a, a traumatic brain injury. So he requires, you know, round the clock care and his brother, Michael takes care of him. Um, and in each issue of ROM, there's a, an ad saying how you can, you know, donate to, to his care. Cause, um, mm -hmm. and Marvel's been very good to, to the Mantlo family too, cause he co-created rocket raccoon. So they've made sure that, you know, money from the, the movies, the guardians of the galaxy movies has gotten to him and, cool. um, yeah, to his family. Cool. So. And speaking That's of cool. causes, so I, I, I have to bring up one thing that I've been, it's been on my mind since I knew you're coming on the show. You know, as a Wonder Woman fan, uh, I noticed that you did two issues of 77 Wonder Woman. And uh, the, the storyline featuring with the elephants and uh, the ivy, and uh, you know, it was was that your own thing that you came up with, or was that something that you're told you have to do the story to? No, no, we were asked. Uh, Christy Quinn, who mm -hmm. was the editor, um, was uh, someone I'd known since the Wildstorm days and worked with, and she's terrific. And she's like, "Is there anything you want to do?" And so we were looking at well, what was going on in 1977? Mm -hmm. um, one of the things was actually that is when the ivory trade really started taking off as something that was happening, you know, worldwide. Like you could really like organized crime started. There had always been an ivory, an illegal ivory trade, but it was like local villagers, you know, needed some extra money. They, you know, go out and maybe like kill an elephant and, and take its tusks and sell them. But this was when organized crime started to get into it on a large scale and really, I mean, really like decimating the elephant population and uh, turning it, you know, smuggling ivory the way the way they, they already did drugs. Um, so that was the beginning of where we are today, where elephants are endangered. And, and it's a real struggle, like literally, literally the, the people who protect the, the wildlife preserves where they live have to walk around with machine guns and be ready to get into firefights with poachers at mm -hmm. any time. Um, so it was a great opportunity to write a story that. Uh, reflects something that's going on today but it's still rooted in the time of 1977 yeah. and it helped us it allowed us to make use of wonder woman's ability to, to, to talk to animals which is one of her lesser known powers but something we really we really love ruth and i are big animal lovers um we have three cats and uh you know it was it was in a story that we really wanted to tell and and it, that was a real pleasure to work on because um you know, Ruth didn't grow up reading comics superhero comics the way i did but she she loved the wonder woman tv show mm -hmm. so that was I think I mean there's an original graphic novel called The Line of Aurora that we did that's a historical epic. We did that for Oni Press. 
and it's the story of Ruth's ancestors. That's the first thing in comics that we started working on together. Mm-hmm. But the Wonder Woman 77 story was the first, um, like, superhero comic thing that we ever did together. And since then, we did a run on Captain Marvel as well. Oh, that's cool. But, yeah, you, you guys did a wonderful job with those two issues. And really, when Thanks. you read it, you feel like you're back in the 70s watching, yes. watching Wonder Woman. Because I'll tell you, I never miss an episode of Linda Carter. I had to watch it before I went to bed at night. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> It's terrific stuff. Yeah. yeah, I mean, but you know, speaking of TV shows, you know, we'd be remiss if we don't talk about Daredevil. Yes. I mean, we're talking about the greatest Netflix Marvel TV show that season one was, oh my gosh. I mean, I've watched that thing three times already. I think, Alex, you've watched it a couple times, if I remember. And it is, I've watched it through once, yeah. Once, okay. I'm, it is awesome. You did a great job with that. Well, thank you very much. Uh, you know, obviously it was... It was a labor of love for us and everyone else on it. We had, I mean, it was a really amazing experience because we, we were hired by Drew Goddard, who was uh, the guy who originated, created and originated the show. Um, and uh, he's just one of the nicest and most brilliant guys you'll ever meet. Uh, and then he had to leave partway through to go do a movie and Stephen DeKnight uh, took over, who's a friend of Drew's. And they're, they're both, you know, uh, came up on, on Buffy working with Joss. And of course I worked with Joss on the, on the Buffy comic. So it was all part of that, that sort of Joss Whedon family. Uh, and it was a wonderful, wonderful creative experience to get to work with those guys. Uh, and of course the cast was fantastic. We got to work with Vincent D'Onofrio. Um, Ruth and I actually got to write the episode with the ninja fight, you know, the first time uh-huh. Matt and Wilson Fisk or Daredevil and Wilson Fisk ever actually fight. So that, or even meet each other face to face. Oh, that's wonderful. So that was a really cool experience. Uh, and you know, I mean, we're, we're very proud of it. Oh, every reason to be so. God, it was that's just... very cool, man. Yeah. So, with that show, uh, was it crazy to you to see the, I guess, how big of a success it became after uh, season one? I mean, we're about to have uh, season three coming up here soon. Right. Yeah. Well, it's funny because the way the Netflix shows work, as you know, they they release all the episodes in one in one day. Right. Yes, so, love it. What that means is, if you're especially if you're working on the first season of a show you're kind of working in a vacuum in a sense that you essentially finish the show before it comes out. And so you don't know if people like it, if they hate it, you know, like with most other shows, you might be on episode, I don't know, six or seven before the first one airs, but you kind of have an idea of what people are thinking (laughs) and how it's doing. Um, And with these Netflix shows, like it was actually great. It was wonderful to, to have it be released and to watch as people are like live tweeting their, their marathon viewing of it. And mm-hmm. everyone's really excited. And in our episode that, that, uh, that we wrote where um, Matt and, and Fisk come face to face for the first time, it was so cool to see the reactions of people going, Oh my God, Fisk just walked in. And, and so it was so much fun on the flip side. I kept thinking to myself, boy, it would really suck to work this hard on a show and have it all come out in one day and people hate it. Yeah. Like I can't oh. imagine anything more demoralizing than having people be online going, "Oh, this sucks," or just totally ignoring it. So, I'm well, I really, guess the really... good thing with that is, though, if it that did happen, you've already been paid for the full season. <laughs> yeah, but even so, I mean, yeah. you know, for for most shows, like you're, you're there at least even uh, shows that get canceled after one season, they they usually get a thirteen episode yeah. order. Um, mm-hmm. So it's kind of the same way anyway, but. 
but it, it just it was you know it, I did think about what what it must be like when a show like that comes out and, and people hate it. It, it must be really depressing because you work so hard on it. Uh, not that it's probably any less depressing when you're when you're working week to week and the shows are airing and people are hating it. But at least then maybe you have a chance to like you know try to retool or whatever. Who knows? Anyway, it was it was great to see that how how much people enjoyed it and still still to this day refer to it and. It was cool because we were sort of setting the tone, you know, thematically, visually, and in many ways for the entire Marvel Netflix universe. Um, and even though all the shows have their own specific looks and characters and tones, uh, I think we set the tone uh, that has endured of it's really gritty and street level and the people are feel more real. Like one of the I remember one of the big things that people talked about when the show came out was like, wow. You know, when Daredevil's fighting, like, he, he stops to take a breath. Like, you can see he's he's breathing heavy, and he's, uh, you know, he, he looks like he's really hurt from all the punches he's taking. And that's kind of a new thing, you know. People were used to, like, action movies and where the, the hero, you know, uh, karate chops, like, 200 bad guys, and even his, his hair doesn't even get messed up. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, that was done very deliberately. It was a creative choice that, that everybody made, that Stephen and Drew made. Actually, Drew really established it in the second episode that he wrote with the with the hallway, the famous hallway fight that was mm-hmm. all one take. Um, and the stunt team, which was led by Phil Silvera, who also is the stunt coordinator on the on the Deadpool movies, um, and uh, Chris Brewster, who is uh, Charlie's stunt double, they just did such an amazing job, and they would really put together these movie level action scenes in you know with like one week's notice, which is crazy. So usually, they have like a month on a movie shoot to do something like that. But yeah, that season one was great because I'll tell you, I, I, after that was out, you could just see, you know, f- this, the whole daredevil franchise just boomed all once all over again. You know, everybody was now wanting to pick up the back issues and read the stories and the comics, go just, buy the t-shirts, the yeah. merchandise, everything. And those comics, I'm telling you, I, I just watched like, Oh my overnight. All of a sudden, those things were like doubling in price almost on eBay. It was amazing how everybody now wanted to read Daredevil. I, I was just going to say, I grew up with the Frank Miller Daredevil comic, mm-hmm. so it was great to see that. Yeah. So it kind of brings me to what I've been wanting to ask you is, you know, have you been approached at all by Marvel to write uh, the Daredevil comics because of the success you've had in the first season of the show? No, I haven't. Uh, I think Charles uh, Soule, who's writing them now, was... Mm-hmm was approached while we were doing the show. Um, and, you know, obviously when you're doing a show, it's kind of all consuming. I was, yeah. I was still writing the Buffy comic, but that was really the only comic I was able to work on uh, while doing the show. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, but the great thing about Charles is that he's a lawyer. So he really understands the, um, the legal aspect of it, which, you know, on the show, we kind of we we did it in see, in episode three, and then we kind of abandoned it for the rest of the season. <laughs> there were not a lot of courtroom scenes in Daredevil, and part of the reason is you know if you were doing Law and Order and Sam Waterston fought ninjas, you probably want to see him fight ninjas a lot more than you want to see him <laughs> in, in the courtroom. Um, so we ended up just being like, oh, let's go have him kick somebody's ass instead. Um, but Charles is great because he he understands all the legal ramifications of it and. And he can, you know, he can uh, address all that. So I think it's a great choice uh, for the book. And I mean, I, I I should admit up front, I'm like ridiculously behind on my comic book reading simply because 
you know, when you're writing for comics and TV and video games and everything else, you you have to do so much reading of that related that is research for what you're working on that it's really hard to keep up with the stuff you read for fun mm-hmm. and the TV shows that you watch for fun. Um, so I'm way behind. So I don't know what's going on right now in the comics, yeah. but I've got them uh, here. You know, I just need to find the time to read them. Well, speaking of That's, law, we hear that way yeah. too often. We do hear that a lot. Yeah, we, we hear that so much. So yeah. you're not alone. Don't feel guilty. Yeah. It's a fact. <laughs> and you're when you do this for a living. I mean, it's it's great in so many ways. And then there's you know, it's there, there's certainly it's not the same as enjoying it just as a fan uh, because you know for a variety of reasons. But I don't want to make it sound like it's some big sacrifice. We're not digging ditches over here. But you brought up law a few minutes ago, and that kind of brings me into the. You did some writing for Law and Order as well. Yes, Ruth and I uh, wrote some episodes of Law and Order, including one that uh, Dick Wolf says said recently uh, was his favorite of the entire series of Law and Order SVU. Um, and that's 400 episodes. They were t- interviewing him on the occasion of the 400th episode, and he said that aside from the pilot, which he himself wrote, um, which uh, he thinks really set the tone for it. Um, his favorite episode is the one that uh, one that Ruth and I wrote called Mercy, which had uh, Judd Hirsch in it, uh, which was really exciting for me because I grew up watching Taxi and I love yeah. Judd Hirsch. Um, and Elizabeth Mitchell uh, is a guest uh, actor, and she was so good on Lost and ER and any number of other shows. Um, so that was a great experience. We uh, we got to work. Uh, our showrunner was Neil Bear, who's a, an actual practicing doctor and a, a terrific guy, talented writer. That's quite an honor we for him got... to mention that like that. Oh, yeah, it's, it was great. I, I mean, I love it. And Neil always told us, he said, you know, Dick always tells people this is his favorite episode and they need to watch it. And uh, But to think that, you know, even after 400 episodes, he still feels that way is, is really, it, it really is an honor. Yeah, that is for pretty sure. cool. Very cool. So, um, you know, we've talked about past. We've talked a little bit about the present. Um, what's in the future? What's, uh, what's next to come? Well, um, I am currently, let's see, I'm currently writing, well, I just had an issue of Amazing Spider-Man come out, 790, that Dan and I, that I scripted over Dan's plot, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, I'm, I'm writing, I think Buffy is still coming out, or maybe the final issue of season 11 just came out, uh, I'm still writing Rom Space Night, uh, as I said, I'm very excited about, uh, Ninjak number one coming out in November with from Valiant with uh, Tomas Giarello drawing uh, our first arc, which is I don't know if you're familiar with his work on Exo Manowar, the relaunch that they did recently, um, but it's just so beautiful, beautiful stuff. He does these incredibly detailed pencils, and then they have the pencils you know digitally colored just without even any inks because it's it's so uh, complete. Um, so I'm really excited about that. It's concept of Ninjak is essentially what if James Bond were a ninja? He's a ninja and a super agent, super spy, uh, and it's been a great thrill for me because uh, some of my favorite comics are like Master of Kung Fu. I don't know if you remember that one. Oh, yeah. And the, the Jim Stranko, Nick Fury stuff, and this is sort of the modern, you know, take on that, uh, and I, you know, I, I hope people check that out and enjoy it. Uh, and then I have been working very intensely on a video game for the past couple of years, a major video game release that I cannot discuss uh, yet, but Around towards the end of the year, I think there should be more information out on that. You already did a few uh, video games too, if I remember correctly, didn't you? Not uh... that's correct. I wrote the um, I wrote the script for uh, the Captain America Super Soldier video game, which came out around the time of the first Captain America movie, and uh, very happy with how that one turned out. Really, the the only criticism people had is that it was too short, which is is absolutely true because we had 
we were tied to the release date of the movie. Uh, so they didn't have as they, they had to do the best they could in the time they have. So it's not the longest game in the world, but it's really amazing. We had the actors from the movie, including Chris Evans do the, the voices. And, um, it was, I was really excited because it was set during world war two. And I pitched all these like invaders, villains, like Baron Strucker and, and iron cross who's a really obscure, like almost like a Nazi iron man from the old invaders comic. Uh, and, you know, they put him in there, and, and it, it, it just came out great, I thought. And what was really cool is I later saw an interview with Chris Evans where he said that the the um, fighting, they sent him a copy of the video game, and he played it and enjoyed it. And when he met the Russo brothers to talk about Winter Soldier, he said, hey, let's try to do some fighting, like, in this video game. And they were like, oh, yeah, we loved it, too, and we want to do that kind of fighting. So I was like, all right, that's not bad. Very cool. It's always cool to hear that little... Uh... Pat on the back. It makes you uh, makes you feel like, oh wow, you know, this actually went the extra distance and everything else. Oh yeah, that's yeah. so cool. I'm just gonna take a shot in the dark and think it's probably like a Spider-Man Homecoming game. Right. <laughs> well, well, that, that would be, that would be nice. Spider-Man Homecoming <laughs> yeah. came out already. Oh, is it really? Yeah. God, I'm behind the times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's, it's. I think the movie's out on streaming now or something mm. like that. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, well, I mean, that's just something that we're going to have to keep up with you with. I mean, it's something yeah. for me to look forward to. I really like video games. I actually do a online video game show on the side besides this. So, um, yeah, it's something that I'll have to be looking forward to. And uh, hopefully here when it gets closer to it or it's been announced or whatever, um, it'd always be nice to bring you back on the show and talk a little bit more about it. Sure. Awesome. Sounds great. So, um, you know, we're getting towards the end of the podcast here. We're going to probably end it here soon. But um, before we end it or anything, do you do uh, conventions? Or do you have a convention schedule or anything coming up? You know, because of the, the my busy schedule, uh, especially with the video game, I haven't done many. I did uh, – Ruth and I did Emerald City this year, mm. uh, and then I did the Whedon Con um, in Burbank. But other than that, I don't think we have any plan coming up. Uh, so I'm sorry to say I have no information on that front. <laughs> well, uh, you know, uh, it's basically it's the end of con season, but I mean, there's still uh, a lot of time to look forward to uh, hopefully meeting you here sometime, maybe in the next year, the near future or something, you know, and all those people that are uh, fans of your work, hopefully they can get their uh, comics signed and everything else. Yeah, that would be awesome. I love, I love doing cons. It's just a matter of finding the time because, you know, not only is it the days of the show, but then there's the travel days and, it's all days you're not working, and uh, right. Yep. you got to make those deadlines. For sure, for sure. All right. Well, um, I think we're going to go ahead and start uh, wrapping this up. Um, is there anything, last words, that you want to say to uh, the people out there in the podcast verse? No, just th- thanks for, you know, uh, reading, watching, playing the games and everything. I really appreciate everybody's support. Uh, I'm way too old now to, to get an honest job, so thank you for enabling me to do this. Right? It's like you get to stay a kid for forever, almost. Pretty much. Except physically. <laughs> Boy. <Yeah. laughs> it's all going, I here, tell you. Here you there. Uh. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks again for coming on the show. Like I said, hopefully we'll have you back soon. And, um, you know, we really enjoyed having you. And um, I'm excited to hear what's to come soon. And uh, I'm really excited to hear about that video game announcement. Yeah.